the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Steve Inskeep is a remarkable journalist and one of the great voice talents in America. He's also an amazing author. He's the author of this new book, Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America. Now, I've read all of Steve's books, and he and I don't agree much on politics, but boy, can he write. Steve Inskeep, welcome back, and congratulations on Differ We Must. I'm going to detail why, congratulations, but uh, I just want to salute you first. It's a heck of a book. Wow. Thank you very much. You've spoken so nicely. I'm reluctant to add anything. I should just let it stand, let it stand as you said it. But thank you. All right. Well, I, I want to begin by letting people know I, I believe in the Luntz rule. Unless I say the title of the book, Differ We Must, seven times, people won't remember Differ We Must. They won't know to go and get Differ We Must. So we're going to say Differ We Must seven times. And then we're going to have a longer conversation after the break, which I will parcel out this week. Uh, Steve Inskeep, when you were writing Differ We Must, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of Lincoln. I've read Bruce McPherson's Battle Cry of Freedom a few times, Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin, my old teacher, Bruce Catton. I know it. I did not know a lot of this, and I'll detail this in what we discovered in Differ We Must. Did you find yourself surprised constantly in this effort? Oh, yeah. I wanted to tell Lincoln's life story through a series of meetings he had with people who differed with them, who had a different background, different race, different gender, or above all a disagreement, a difference of opinion. And when I began focusing on these 16 meetings with a wide variety of people, I did discover stuff that I didn't know after a lifetime of being interested in and, and reading about Lincoln. And also some of these meetings, like I'd read a paragraph, but when you get into the details of how uh, a particular meeting came about and what Lincoln's motivations were when he was dealing with William Henry Seward or someone much less famous like William Florville, his barber in Springfield, or some of the abolitionists he dealt with. I did learn things constantly. I'm going to talk specifically after the break about Duff Green and Lean Bear and Justice Campbell, because those three were remarkable. I, I mean, I'm stunned by what I didn't know. But I want to ask you first, in terms of what you would prefer I read the first half of the book because I got a review copy early, and then it occurred to me midway through it, Inkscape actually is a great voice talent, and I bought the audiobook. I almost never do that, right? I'm cheap. I'm a radio host. I want the book sent to me. But I went and bought the audiobook, and it's magnificently read. How long did that take? Thank you. I took about two and a half days, um, and I guess I tend to write the way that I talk, or I try to anyway. As part of the process, I end up reading a lot of things aloud, at least when I'm alone in the house. I don't want to disturb my kids by like you know constantly performing things. But I find it a great test of your writing to read it aloud. You very quickly find out if the sentences aren't very clear. So I really appreciate what you said. In terms of people should know, when you, when you read a book and it's by the author, it's in their voice, with one great exception, and I love W, so he'll understand this. George W. Bush read his book in about 20 minutes, and he didn't bother to inflect anything. You you put your belief into the voice, don't you? I think so. I, I felt that way, and I tried to think about how do I express the words of Lincoln? 
who, of course, we don't have a recording, but his voice is described as having a particular Midwestern twang and not some deep voice of God. So I tried to express that a little bit. And there are even scenes, there's a scene where his great rival, Stephen Douglas, is trying to deliver a speech after he's lost his voice. And so I tried to give a sense of what that croaking sound might have have been. And yeah, I mean, I also just the passion, which is, I think, what you're referring to. I believe in what I have to say here. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to the reenactment of the Lincoln-Douglas debates with um, David and uh, Richard Dreyfus played Judge Douglas and David, I can't think of his last name right now, played uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it's magnificent, but nevertheless, it's still an interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think your Lincoln interpretation is great because you took your tone up about an octave, not an octave. You took it up a couple of uh, beats because he did have a high yeah. voice. That's why it carried. Yeah, which is an amazing thing to realize that the, in fact, some accounts describe him as having a falsetto as he's talking out across the audience and that it would cut through and you realize what the challenge is. He's trying to reason, be logical for three hours sometimes with a crowd of thousands and no microphone. Um, it's an incredible accomplishment that he was heard at all and that he compelled people is even more amazing. Now, we are talking on a Monday following a massacre in Israel that is the equivalent yeah. of of our 9-11. Indeed, in population terms, it's much bigger than our 9-11. In, right. Israel's got 9 million people, and they've suffered at least 800 dead, and that's going to rise. Lincoln also faced this kind of decision and these kinds of—and we have a minute to the break, Steve. We'll come back and talk about Differ We Must, those three chapters— What do you think must be going through, what ought to be going through the leaders of Israel's mind facing a war that could be bloody and prolonged? Oh, well, if we if we draw on uh, the example of Lincoln, he was clearly willing to go to war for some things, although he was not a combative person by nature. And he was all about forbearance and patience and the long term. But he was willing to go to war with the South. Having done that, he understood the importance of of a coalition, of keeping the broadest possible political coalition behind the war effort. In the case of the American Civil War, some of the pro-union people were slave owners, and Lincoln wanted them on his side. And that seems something that would be clear for Israelis now, is to stay united in this war effort as they face Hamas. That's what I was hoping you would say. It, it does go to the forming of the cabinet, which we will discuss after this. The book is Zipper We Must. I cannot recommend better reading, even though it's about Lincoln and from the last two centuries ago. Go get Dipper We Must as we face a war that could go very big. I'll be back tomorrow, America, with Dwayne and Adam and Harley and the entire team to bring you the latest news on the war in the Middle East. Stay tuned to this great station, and thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. 
Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. On Monday, I talked with Steve Inskeep, who is, of course, the co-host of uh, NPR's uh, All Things Mornings Edition. And his brand new book is Differ We Must. And I have both read it and listened to it. And Differ We Must is magnificent, as you heard me uh, say in the first segment. And when we're done with all these segments this week, I'll put them all over at the podcast as well, so you can listen to it uninterrupted. Steve, I had house guests this weekend, and one of them uh, from California wanted me to relate to you that she listens to you every day, first-time caller, but you never take calls. I am curious, do you enjoy <laughs> anonymity as you move around the world because you are a radio guy like me as opposed to a TV guy? Uh, I don't really, and maybe you have a similar experience to one that I just had over the weekend. I was on a plane. I'm sitting next to a guy on a full airplane and after we landed, as we were getting up to leave, the guy shook my hand and he said, I thought I maybe recognized you out of the corner of my eye, but I wasn't sure it was you until you said something to the flight attendant. The yes. voice does get recognized, which is a testament to, to the network as much as me. Well, it's a testament to great production values on NPR. Uh, Steve, let's go back to Differ We Must Now. It is not out of the blue. We talked about your book on the Fremonts. I don't think we talked about your book on Jackson, Jackson Land. Um, tell us how this is different. We must as part of a series. Oh, well, thank you. I do almost think of it as a sort of informal trilogy. And I don't think that I would have been qualified really to write about Abraham Lincoln, a so studied subject, had I not done two other books about the 19th century, which gave me a sense of the growth of the country and the evolution of democracy and westward expansion. Um, and Lincoln turned up as a very minor character in each of those earlier books in Jackson Land, which is about removing Indians from the eastern United States, the battle primarily between Andrew Jackson and the Cherokees. Lincoln turns up for a minute because he was a sort of war veteran. He volunteered for the Black Hawk War of 1832, although he didn't see combat. Lincoln turned up again in uh, the Imperfect Union book about John Charles Fremont and his wife, Jesse Benton Fremont, who almost collectively ran for president in 1856, because Lincoln supported them and spoke on their behalf and gave one great speech uh, in, in which he, he told people, come to the defense of the right, come to the defense of liberty. So I, they kind of whetted my appetite to really write about someone who I admired all my life and had learned about ever since I grew up in Indiana, which is where he spent most of his years. I want to come back to the Fremonts in a moment, but but first let me ask you, are you at work already on another book? Because I have a suggestion. Oh, no. Fire away. What do you got? Well, I would love to read a great biography of John Hay, Lincoln's personal secretary oh. who goes on to become the Secretary of State in the United States. He never leaves American politics. He, he stretches from Lincoln, where he's the young secretary, well into, I I can't remember when his public career ended as Secretary of State, but he's an amazing man. I don't think there's a good biography of him out there. It's incredible to read about Theodore Roosevelt in the early 1900s. And there's John Hay, this figure from the Civil War, which just seems, I mean, decades and decades. He's a guy with some personality, I agree. I got to read some of his journals of his time as Abraham Lincoln's, one of Abraham Lincoln's two main secretaries. And there's a lot of personality in there. He's a young man. He's admiring the young women who sometimes come and go in the White House. He has strong opinions about uh, about everybody who comes through, sometimes very acidic opinions. He's a fascinating character, uh, I, although in the end, kind of a long winded one. He and uh, uh, Nicolay, his fellow secretary of Lincoln, you probably know this, 
wrote a biography of Abraham Lincoln after his death, and it's like 10 volumes, more than 5,000 pages. Yes, you mentioned that. There are a lot of people, the former William Herndon, of course, we've got the, the very famous Carl Sandburg, six volumes. You mentioned it in the afternote I was oh, listening yeah. to. I just can't imagine what your library is. Well, if you get in, if you get inspired, here's one, you can sell one copy of John Hay to me. Uh, let's go back to the, to the Fremont Stephen Skeep. Um, I hadn't put it on my list of chapters, but it's so memorable. Uh, Mrs. Fremont goes to the White House to argue with Lincoln about her wayward husband who's issued an abolition proclamation in advance of when it was timely and political and smart to do. And you capture that meeting and the iciness of Lincoln. And you also write about McClellan and how he dealt with him. Are all presidents doomed to screw up their first few generals? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's true. And it's true in a lot of wars. Uh, and I imagine part of it is that war is a process of revealing, like any war starting, is a process of revealing what the political situation is, what the utterly ruthless demands of that moment are. And it's probably rare that any country goes into a war with exactly the generals and admirals they need to fight that war, no matter how prepared that they that they think that they they are. And this absolutely was the case here. And on note, I mean, you talk about Jesse Fremont going to protest because her husband in command in Missouri had issued this Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, Lincoln felt it was the wrong time and also felt it was not General Fremont's decision. For Abraham Lincoln, this was a matter of civilian versus military authority. When to free the slaves and slave people was uh, political decision in in Lincoln's view. And he ended up having, I mean, this is a thing I, I mean, I kind of knew, but didn't really understand deeply. He had a similar dispute with General McClellan, because in addition to disagreeing about strategy and disagreeing about tactics and disagreeing about timing and representing different social classes and every other possible kind of disagreement, Lincoln and McClellan didn't really agree on slavery. McClellan was not ready for any kind of emancipation, didn't think that it should happen as part of the war. And Lincoln, of course, was on his way to, to, to deciding that it was absolutely essential to win the war. You know, Steve, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Straussians will be applauding Differ We Must because you have put down Harry Jaffa's theory in concise form, which is Lincoln said the Declaration of Independence was the golden apple protected by the frame of silver borrowing from Proverbs. And your account of Lincoln's motivation is exactly right. He was about the Declaration and about preserving the Constitution, but he understood the Declaration to be the key document of the American founding. Yeah, and he had a particular view of it as well, which informs his approach to slavery. Some people will know that Lincoln did not call for immediate abolition uh, because he didn't believe that it was constitutionally possible. Um, and he can be criticized for that, he is criticized for that sometimes today. But he speaks to this in his understanding of the Declaration. He embraced the Founding Fathers. He understood that they had not ended slavery, but marked down that most of them uh, recorded their opposition to slavery in some fashion or another. And he said that promise in the Declaration of all men are created equal was a promise never to be perfectly attained, but which could be approximated in ways to add to the happiness and well-being of all people of all colors everywhere. That's a, a pretty close quote of the, one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, the last of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, which is really important, I think, to understand when we think about Lincoln and important to understand about America now. We're never going to have perfect equality. We're never even going to agree on exactly what it is. 
but you keep working on it. You get all that you can today and you see about the next election or the next generation to get a little more. And the first exercise in originalism is Lincoln's Cooper Union speech, which you quote extensively, how every framer, every single framer who signed the declaration at some point or another signed on to another piece of law that agreed that slavery could not be extended to the territory. It's brilliant scholarship. Let's get to uh, let's get to some of the fun in Differ We Must. In Differ We Must, there is a character I have never heard of, Duff Green. Never heard mm. of him. And I have read, I, I had no idea that he was an emissary to Lincoln in Springfield. I had no idea that he came aboard the, the ship at, down at Richmond. Was he a, a discovery for you? Had you heard of Duff Green before? And please tell people about Duff Green. Absolutely. I had heard of Duff Green uh, in my previous writing because I did write a book about Andrew Jackson and the Cherokees. And Duff Green comes up in accounts of Jackson because he was associated with a variety of presidents over some 30 years, including Andrew Jackson, for whom he was a supporter as a newspaper man and propagandist. He effectively became the spokesman for the presidential administration for a little while because he ran this newspaper that was the House organ for Andrew Jackson. He, at different points in his career, came across as a man who was utterly in favor of equality, radical economic equality, with the provision that it was among white men. He was in favor of freedom of the press. He once insulted a congressman so severely, the, insult, the congressman beat him up and put him in the hospital. And Duff Green, from his sickbed, his hospital bed, dictated the same insult again to go into his paper which makes him seem like almost a hero. But he became over time more and more obsessed with slavery. He was from a slave state. He owned slaves himself. And he was ideologically obsessed with slavery and filled with conspiracy theories about how uh, the other side was importing immigrants to vote against slavery. And in 1860, as you mentioned, after Lincoln had been elected, and as some Southern states were beginning to declare they were leaving the Union, but before Lincoln's inauguration, Duff Green went to Springfield, Illinois, where Lincoln was, the president-elect was, and tried to persuade him to sign on to a so-called compromise to placate the South by enshrining slavery forever in the Constitution. Um, I think it's revealing uh, both because you see the ideology of this man and because you see Lincoln's response, he took the meeting. He talked with this guy for a number of hours. He'd known this guy for years. He was, even, he was kind of a friend. He was uh, a distant relation by marriage. He was happy to talk with uh, Duff Green and even was persuaded to write a letter that might be interpreted as sort of supporting Duff Green's cause. But in the end, Lincoln did not arrange for Duff Green to get that letter. It was asking too much of Lincoln to compromise that much on slavery to avert the Civil War. Lincoln just wasn't willing to do that. And I love the detail. He wrote the letter, he gave it to his friend in the Senate and said, under the certain conditions, you can release it. But the Breckinridge Amendments were doomed. Yeah. That is a, it's a beautiful chapter in Differ We Must. We'll come back and talk about next. Lean Bear. I am back with uh, Stephen Keep, whose brand new book, Differ We Must came out last week, and it's on bestseller list everywhere. And in the middle of a war in the Middle East, it's an important one to read. Lean Bear is another revelation to me, as I've been telling you, Steve. And I really, I read things like Empire of the Summer Moon, and I try and read books about how the tribes are treated and the Native Americans exterminated from some places, exiled in others. But I never knew about Lean Bear. 
until I read Differ We Must. Did you know about Lean Bear? Oh, no. Even though I'd written, I'd written like two books that were filled with, with native characters, I'd never heard of him. Uh. And then um, I came across a couple of things. One is a speech that Lincoln gave to a delegation of Indians who visited the White House. It wasn't a story that I knew. And then I came across a photograph in the Library of Congress collections that show these visiting Indians who posed for a photo in a greenhouse that apparently was attached to the White House at that time. So it had plenty of sunlight from from above. And a footnote, or rather the caption of the photograph, said that three of the four uh, Indians in the picture had been murdered by white men not long after they visited the White House, which was shocking. And so I learned the story of this Cheyenne leader, Lean Bear, who was a great warrior, a great fighter, who became a leader of the Cheyenne and a so-called peace chief. He was in favor of peace with white settlers who were sweeping across what became Colorado. Uh, and there was fear of war as white settlers took native land and mined for gold in the Colorado Rockies. And a number of native leaders were invited to the White House where Lincoln gave a little speech to them and they gave a speech to him, including Lean Bear, who spoke quite eloquently. And Lincoln essentially said, we need you to be peaceful with the white men and we need you to learn to live more like white men. We think that that would be good for you. It's not for me to tell you how to live, but if you take up agriculture rather than hunting, you can be more numerous and, and prosperous. And Lean Bear's speech was essentially telling Lincoln, thanks for asking us to keep the peace, but you're talking to the wrong people. We don't intend to start a war. It is white settlers who intend to start uh, a war, and you need to warn them to be uh, more careful. And sadly, Lean Bear's prophecy proved to be right. Lincoln wanted peace, genuinely wanted peace on the frontier because he wanted to focus on the Civil War. He didn't want a big, distracting Indian war. But he had invited the wrong people uh, to the White House to tell them this because it was not long after that that white soldiers uh, conducted a number of massacres, including the Sand Creek Massacre, which, I mean, there was a federal investigation. There's lots of evidence. There's no doubt about this. It was one of the worst massacres in the history of the American West. Uh, General Pope, I had no idea of his role in that and his complicity in that extermination. And I knew Pope wasn't a very good general, but I didn't know he was an evil guy. He's an evil guy. And again, there are things in... Yeah. Did, did Lincoln fire him? I don't recall that from listening. I listened to that. No, chat. well, not not exactly. I mean, that's part of the part of the challenge of Lincoln. I mean, he's making hard decisions as a political leader, as well as a military leader. And he had this guy, John Pope, who was with him politically and was brash and loud and had won a military victory once upon a time. And then he had an utter failure at the sec Battle of Second Bull Run. He was promoted to a position that he wasn't competent for. And rather than sending him home, Lincoln sent him off to the West, um, in, in, in his case, to, to Minnesota, where there was uh, war against uh, uh, Lakota people who had risen up, Dakota people who had risen up in, in rebellion because of the violation of a treaty. And Pope's response was, we just need more death. We need to kill more people. We need to even kill our prisoners uh, after fake trials. I mean, it was an outrageous and barbaric response. Some people will know this story. 303 Indians were sentenced to hang, and Lincoln ordered the trial transcripts to be sent to Washington, had two of his lawyers review the trial transcripts, and ended up uh, commuting the sentences of more than 260 because they had 
been soldiers in a war and you don't execute soldiers in a war for ordinary acts of combat. He did allow the executions ultimately of 38 men who had been convicted of participating in massacres, uh, crimes against humanity for which you can, of course, be punished. And I find this a really interesting uh, incident to study now because you so can did I, describe I, I, Lincoln either way. It's completely new to me. Uh, so people who think they know Lincoln and, oh, I've got Lincoln down. I don't need to read Differ, We Must. You're wrong. You need to read Differ, We Must. Tomorrow we'll talk about another character, Justice John Campbell. Do not miss that. Thank you, America. Differ, We Must, available in bookstores now. I'm back now with my friend and radio friend, I should say, Steve Inskeep. I, I don't know that we've ever sat down and chatted, Steve, in person, but we've talked a lot on the radio. Uh, Steve is the co-host of Morning Edition on NPR. He is also a prolific and successful and beautiful writer. His brand new book, Differ We Must, I've been talking with him about all week long. In this week of war, it's useful to consult how another war leader dealt with people in war and peace. Uh, Justice John Campbell, I'm ashamed to admit, I've been teaching con law for 25 years, Steve. I did not realize that a member of the United States Supreme Court resigned his lifetime tenure job and became the assistant secretary of war and had the guts or the stupidity to stay in Richmond after Richmond had fell and tried to treat with Lincoln and then tried to trick Lincoln. You want to tell that story pretty quickly? Because people really yeah, have to read uh, it. Very quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. He was a Supreme Court justice. He did become a Confederate official. And then in 1865, when Richmond fell and the Confederates fled, he stayed because he thought he knew Lincoln and he thought that he could negotiate some kind of a peace with Lincoln. And they even did reach an agreement, but the agreement meant different things to each side. Campbell wanted the Virginia government that had just been defeated to be allowed to resume its role in charge of the state. Lincoln said, that is fine. The gentlemen who have acted as the Virginia legislature may come together solely to tell General Robert E. Lee to surrender his army. Um, but he did not want them, in fact, to resume the governance of the state. They wanted to build a new government from scratch. Um, and so they made an agreement that in the end didn't work out. And Lee surrendered on his own. And so uh, Lincoln said, thanks very much. You're out of here. Forget it. And they went on with what became Reconstruction. This is a thing that happened in the last few days of Lincoln's life. He's dealing with a man who had rebelled against the country, and he's willing to try to make an agreement with him so long as it is in the interest of the United States. But do not try and trick Abraham Lincoln, because <laughs> you're going to no, lose. No. And and he tried to interpret their meeting differently to legitimize yeah. a, an illegitimate institution that did not work. Tomorrow I'm going to conclude with a little bit longer segment on Lincoln and the long game, America, so don't miss that. Differ We Must is available in bookstores and at Amazon.com. I strongly recommend the Audible version. Back now for my final piece of conversation with Steve Inskeep. His brand new book, Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America, is must-reading, even as war rages in the Middle East and as people worry about what could happen, war rages in Ukraine. Uh, my favorite memoir, uh, Stephen Skeep, of anyone in Washington, D.C., is Mitch McConnell's The Long Game, because The Long Game mm. is really what defines Lincoln and successful politicians. Lincoln is very much a politician, and the long game he played is played out in Differ We Must from the earliest days, from his time in the Black Hawk 90-day war to his time as a lawyer to his time— you know, taking his turn in Congress and what he would sign on to and who he would meet with and the know nothing and the wide awake. Do you think it's fair to say he's like the original and best practitioner of the long game? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, and he would prioritize. Um, he would let a lot of things pass. I mean, there are stories that he was like this as a lawyer. He would concede all sorts of facts that were not relevant to his case, but then hold on to the one thing that was vitally important. And he definitely did that as a politician. I, I got a chance to write about this in the Wall Street Journal the other day, as a matter of fact. He um, did not demonize people because it wasn't worth his time. He didn't virtue signal because he didn't need to be thought of as the most virtuous person. He would think about what could he do against the, about the preeminent issue of his time, which was slavery. And he insisted, however he changed politically, insisted that that system was wrong and ultimately got himself in a position to deliver a death blow against it. During the Civil War, he had the one goal, keep the Union together, and he kept all other goals to the side. He is a man who could prioritize and think about the long term. Yeah, and uh, I want to close by talking about how one deals with tragedy as being a leader. The Doris Kearns Goodwin book, Team of Rivals, uh, I was at the beach running one day years ago when it came out and stopped because I was crying when Todd uh, Lincoln dies in the White House. Uh, this is the most grief-laden man in American history, I think, who held the presidency. It's just a story of trial and grief. And he, he perseveres, and he's not. Uh, I, in, in any kind of conventional sense, a Christian, I'm not sure what he is. The second inaugural is, I didn't know that the second inaugural began in jottings four years before it was delivered. I, I kind of astonished yeah. to learn that as well. But what do you think about his perspective on, on grief and the almighty, Steve Inskeep, at the end of this? Uh, he, 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 uh, he, he, he had these various theories through his life that there was a kind of destiny that events might be charted by something beyond human control. And sometimes he referred to that power as God, and sometimes he referred to that power in a more vague way. Um, he was described as a fatalist for this reason. You know, things must come, terrible things must come. Uh, and humans only had limited control over events. And that sounds like a really grim and dark way to look at the world. But it can also be optimistic in a way uh, in that, you, you, you know, things are going to happen and our job is to deal with them. And Lincoln managed to keep a certain kind of optimism in that he kept angling things toward the right. He, it's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? He had this theory that everything was beyond our control, and yet he kept trying to influence events and influence circumstances, knowing that he had to keep his eye on the long view, that in the immediate circumstance, terrible things would happen and there'd be very little he could do. Yeah, the agency that one possesses has got to be used for your ultimate goal, in his case, preserving the Union and the Constitution uh, Steve Inskeep, thank you for a generous dollop of your time. Congratulations on Differ We Must. Uh, may you prosper and think about that John Hay th idea, because I know you're a busy man and you probably are tired right now. Good luck on a book tour that's going, <laughs> a book thank tour you. that's being consumed by a war. I've seen that happen before, but press on. It's an important book for these times. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.